this episode. People might have heard of the of the word CRISPR, Jennifer Dowdra, who ended up winning the Nobel Prize. That women weren't pushing as hard, and therefore, at the end of the day, there were few women, fewer women, that were getting published in the men. Would not be the the kind of the Nobel Prize winner. The discovery uh, has literally the potential to change life. Collaboration and diversity is how you make progress. Anyone who can use the word palindromic in a sentence is uh, doing pretty well, I think. Especially if you can do it backwards. <laughs> Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everybody. I'm Sean Callahan, And hi, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. And so, Sean, uh, I, I know you love science and you've been deep in another scientific topic. And you've found a really relevant story from deep inside that uh, that topic. So in that realm, take absolutely. us away. Okay, so um, people might have heard of the of the word CRISPR. CRISPR. It's a. It, it's turned out to be you know, sort of fundamental to gene editing technology uh, out of the biosciences. And I've got sort of like a one degree sort of separation to this story in some ways, because uh, my sister-in-law is a researcher at Berkeley University, uh, Jill Banfield. And Jill actually was the person who introduced the concept of CRISPR to the, the woman, Jennifer Dowder, who ended up winning the Nobel Prize for her work on CRISPR, and especially how it relates to gene editing. So what does, what's CRISPR? What does CRISPR mean? Well, it's, it's an acronym, for one thing, and uh, it is an acronym that, let me see if I can remember uh, the... I've all got the a feeling it's going to be complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it stands for uh, clustered, repeated, no, repeated, no, clustered, repeatedly, intermittently, palindromic, short repeats. Something like that. It's a, it's a quite a long, but I love the fact that it got palindromic in there. I mean, that's a word that you don't you, know, you don't come across that too often. Exactly, mm. exactly. So uh, uh, it was a, it was actually a um, a Spanish researcher who uh, named it, um, and yes, so that became the field. And what it is, I suppose, in in really layman's terms, is that for billions of years, bacteria have been in this battle against viruses is very relevant for what's going on now right and they have formed through evolution billions of years of evolution a way to get immunity to all the different viruses that attack it and so the way they do it is they sort of subsume the virus dna into the bacteria and then when the virus attacks it it goes oh i know that virus and it is actually totally immune to it and if it's a new virus that's never seen, it, it sort of like sucks in that DNA and for the next progeny has got it built into the bacteria's DNA sequence. But these CRISPR sequences is where you get all these repeats, you know, so there might be, let's say, 14. I don't know. Did you ever see the movie Gattaca? Yes. Right. So Gattaca are the letters G-A-T-T-A-C-C-A, -T -T -A -A, right? That's the letters you use in DNA sequencing, right? It's those letters. So, you know, when you see these long sort of lists of DNA sequencing, it's just those letters. So anyway, you get these um, 
repeating patterns like that. So let's fast forward. I mean, because I the little I'm, I'm reading this book by Walter Isaacson, right? And it's on a whole story, and it's a complex story. It's got lots and lots of moving parts. But there was just one thing that's sort of struck me, Mark, that, uh, and it was just a little interaction that Isaacson was having with Doudna, and, and it was related to their first major paper. So she collaborated with three other people, uh, a French woman who uh, headed up a, a lab out of Sweden, and her name was Emmanuel Charpentier, and their postdocs, essentially the, the guys working in the lab, right? And when they had worked out, you know, like the fundamental elements required to do this DNA cutting, you know, this editing, um, they obviously had to write a paper. And when they'd written the paper, Dowda knew she wanted to have it published in Science, uh, the journal Science, one of the top peer-reviewed you know, science journals. And she got in contact with the editors of that journal. She told them what she had. She said, I need to get this done fast, right? Because there were other people who were working on this uh, area. And I don't know if you know, but it usually takes months, sometimes years to get a scientific paper published. She said she wanted it done in a week, right? I think they probably just laughed when she, when she suggested that. But she put a lot of pressure on them. And in the end, I don't know if it was a week, but it was in this extremely short period of time that this paper was published. Well, their competitor, who was one of their main competitors, was in Boston. And the head of the lab up there, or the institute, was a guy called Eric Landers, called the um, oh, shit, I don't know, name drop there of, um, of the name of the institute. I'll come to me in a minute. But... Um, Eric Lander was having a go at Doudna. He was sort of saying to Isaacson, who was writing this book, you know, yeah, come on. She obviously had some deal with science. You know, she was twist their arm in some way. She got the reviewers organised. I mean, clearly there's something dodgy going on, you know, <laughs> with all this. And uh, so Isaacson sort of reported this back to Doudna. And she sort of said, well, I tell you what, why don't you go and ask Lander this? Has he ever done that? Has he ever pushed? Put pressure yeah. on a publisher to publish a paper quickly. That's right. And so uh, Isaacson, as the you know, good journalist he is, he goes back to Lander and he repeats it back to Lander and Lander just laughs and he says, of course I have. Yeah, I do it all the time. I do it all the time. Exactly. And, and when I heard that little anecdote, I sort of thought to myself, you know, in that world, I mean, clearly to succeed, you do have to be pushy, all right? But there is a gen uh, some research, and Isaac points this out in his book, there's some, there's a, there is a gender difference, right? That when men put their papers forward, they'll often use words like groundbreaking, you know, one of a kind. Right, no, so they, 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 they sensationalise it. Oh, they make sure that, yeah. you know, this is the biggest you know, and the best, right? Whereas women will hold back a little bit. They'll sort of go, you know, we've got this insight and it's important. And, and, and the second thing that research sort of showed was that, you know, that women weren't pushing as hard. And therefore, at the end of the day, there were few women, fewer women that were getting published in the men. So, but Doudna clearly 
um, what would you say, had learnt that. She'd learned from her supervisors over the years. She's become a, you know, a star in her area. She's like the world authority on RNA and, and RNA interference was, was her big thing. And, um, and she did it because, you know, she, and she got this amazing lab of, uh, of researchers working with her because she could do this sort of stuff. So in addition to the bench science, you know, actually doing the experiments, she could do this other element. And, uh, and I just thought it was a nice example of just that balance between all the collaboration that she does and how she's a fabulous collaborator, but at the same time, she knows when to be competitive and she knows when to push and she knows when to get a bit bolshy. Yeah, and, and I, I think that I, I kind of extrapolate that and I go, what if she didn't push? And what if Lander in the lab in Boston had published first, then Doudner would not be the the kind of the, the Nobel the, Prize winner, the Nobel right, laureate? So, right, yes, exactly. Uh, it, would be, it would be the the other guy. And so thank goodness she did push. Yeah, she won and, that Nobel Prize with, I'm pretty sure, with Emmanuel Chapentier. So the two of them, like, and this is the joint paper, of course, that they wrote for science uh, between the four of them. Um, and, yeah, you're right. They they would have been a footnote in a book that Isaac. <laughs> yeah, uh, we yeah. also interviewed second place getter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's very interesting. I thought. Um, anyway, so let's, I guess a, you know, like mm. a key lesson. Uh, kind of, we're jumping ahead here. Is that yep. if you've got a good idea, it doesn't matter whether you're what gender you are. You have to you have to push it because yeah. people won't necessarily recognise it at face value. No. No, that's right. Exactly. You know, and, and the guy, for example, the guy who uh, coined the term CRISPR and actually first worked out what CRISPR did, right? He worked out it was this immunity system for bacteria. Um, his name was Francisco uh, Maic, I think. And uh, he's from Spain uh, in a place called, um, uh, what was it, on the, on the west coast of Spain. But anyway, the... Um, uh, he put, he put his paper up for publication um, and it took, he, first of all, he got rejected for the first three publications that he went for. So he had to go to a lesser publication and then it took two years for it to be published. So, you know, that's the possibility in this sort of stuff, right? Because it was early days, no one had ever heard of CRISPR right. back then, right? So, you know, he, he had even trouble getting funding for his work. Uh, Alicante was where he was from. Um, so tell me, what do you reckon? What what do you like about this story? What stood out for you? Well, I, you know that that Isaacson did go back to Lander and and challenge him on, you know, did you do that? And he kind of well, admitted that, yeah, of course, that's what I do. You know, you know, I do it all the time. I put pressure on that he would have the temerity yeah. to <laughs> to suggest that. Yeah, perhaps it was because Doudna is a woman. I don't know that, but you know, yeah, oh, she must have had some sweetheart deal uh, to get it published. So, so you know, quickly. something dodgy going on when all she did was standard operating procedure for scientists. Yeah, yeah, yep, it's just that's a, right. I guess well, she just had a little bit more leverage, like because her her uh, invention or her you know that, discovery, that, that was, yeah, the, the discovery uh, has literally the potential to change life. That's it. Yeah, right. exactly. So it's a pretty big thing. Yeah. And so there's a bit of leverage there. The other, the other thing that I think 
the reason why for, for me that story works is it's nearly all dialogue, right? It's so Doudna, so Landa says this, and then Isaac says that to Doudna. Doudna then says this, you know, and then Landa says that, right? It's it's just a little script, if you like, of a, pe- mm. a bunch of people talking. And so as a result, as a listener, you're just drawn in to the conversation. Well, I, I think that's also one of the weaknesses of that story is that you need to know the names, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so you've got... Yeah, the, and and it and, and it kind of adds to the complexity of the story. You know, Dowdner said this to Isaacs, and he said that to Toland, and like, so it gets a bit, a, a little bit harder. And I think one of the things that could make that story just a little bit better is to is to kind of give a bit of a picture of Dowdner and Isaacson, so that when you say Isaacson, people know, oh yeah, he's the journalist, and just something simple like you know he's been writing books for years. I remember years ago writing a uh, reading his biography of uh, Steve Jobs. And uh, it, was a, a, yeah, it was a terrific book, uh, you know, Walter Isaacson. Yeah, you can- That's it. Exactly. Just- I should have done that. And uh, that's, that's a very good point. Um, and tell me, and was Doudna, you know, like how old was she? Uh, what nationality? You know, married, kids, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, she, she, lived, she worked in uh, Berkeley. I think she was married. She had a kid. Uh, uh, she's, you know, an American woman, you know, the, it was actually quite a United Nations sort yeah. of, uh, so you had, you had a Shep, a Chepentier who was brought up in France, born in Paris, brought up in France, but then traveled the world, right? She, and at the time she was in Sweden and, um, she more or less said to the team that because it was summertime then, uh, and there was no darkness, it was all light. She was very far north of Sweden. Um, she said she'd be happy to work 24 hours, like she could work any time, she said. Um, you know, just to give you a sense of the, the level of intensity that these guys had for this project. Um, her postdoc, he was in uh, Vienna and uh, he was Polish background. And then uh, Dowder's postdoc, a guy called Martin uh, Yenik, um, I'm just sort of think he was he was also I'm pretty sure he was also in Berkeley, um, but you know again a, an immigrant to America I believe and um, and so you know it was quite a, a talk about diversity they they yeah. certainly had diversity in their team and that that's actually a theme that goes through the whole thing is collaboration and diversity is how you make progress um, in these types of complex problems yeah 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 and 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 both of them are essential like the, yes. The, and I remember years ago working with one of the world, you know, one of the big professional services firms, and and uh, the, every year there's they, they there's the international case challenge where uh, each country puts forward a team of university students to to argue a case or yes. to you know, yeah. solve a case, and um, the, uh, the the Australian uh, arm. Uh, went against you know instead of going to Sydney University and getting the you know like the the, the standard you know four blokes uh, all of you know white Anglo-Saxon you know da 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 they went to University of Perth and got uh, two men uh, two guys two girls uh, from all different ethnic backgrounds and you know most of them um, uh, immigrants to Australia and 
non-prestigious. Yeah, they smashed it. <laughs> they, 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 you know, the Perth University won won the case competition in Australia, and then they won on and went, went, won the international case competition. Is One that of the right? things they put it down to is that the diversity. Yeah, yeah. They could have they could bring all these different ways of thinking to a problem. Um, yeah. I thought one of the other things that was really interesting in in Isaacson's book and is is that you know each one of these researchers is sort of in this really interesting collaborative and competitive dance, right? They know they need to get other people involved to get the job done, but at the same time they want to have recognition for um, the breakthroughs, and so. You know, it's this real delicate dance that they do, you know. So, you know, uh, Chapentier, you know, really needed someone who was going to, you know, who, who acted as a, um, you know, sort of a, a biochemist who could actually break down all the molecules and work out exactly how they work together. She hadn't worked that out. Doudna had, that was her thing, you know, and she had on a team people who could crystallise these elements to do crystallography, you know, like you go back to Watson and Crick, the big breakthrough with Watson and Crick on their double helix was the crystallography that was done by um, uh, the woman scientist. I'm just, of course, having a name blank on her name, but she had the slide 51, which was the, I saw a play about this, um, which was sort of like the big insight for, you know, Crick who saw it and immediately realised, you know. There's the missing piece of the puzzle. There's the missing piece. Yeah. In fact, that, that also reminds me of Dr. Fiona Wood, uh, who's an uh, Australian uh, uh, doctor who specialises in burns. And she came to prominence in uh, early 2000s uh, uh, when in 2002, I think it was, there was the Bali bombings and uh, uh, yeah, it was a terrible thing. Hundreds and many hundreds of people killed and many hundreds uh, horribly burned. And so a whole bunch of them, Went, uh, were flown from Bali to hospitals in Australia. A bunch ended up in Western Australia, in Perth, where Fiona Wood was, and she'd invented this thing called spray-on-skin. Oh, yeah. And she went on to become Australian of the Year and, you know, da-da-da. But she kind of reflected on the invention of spray-on-skin with much the same uh, approach, which is around, you know, I would go and talk to other people and I could see that they had a piece of the puzzle, but I would have a piece of, of the puzzle for something that they were working on, and so we'd work together. Yeah. And it was only by doing that that we ended up with spray on skin. And it would have never yes. happened without that collaboration where I didn't have bits of the puzzle and they did. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Do you see that much in, in corporations doing that type of collaboration that we've talked oh, about there? The, I, I, in general, I find the bigger the organisation, the less likely they are to collaborate, collaborate like that. Um, I mean, some organisations do, but in a lot of cases, one of the big barriers is people have this thing where this is my job and they kind of don't go and ask. Right. Because, oh, this is, you know, I've been given this problem to solve and that's my problem to solve and I'm going to solve it. And yeah, they they kind of miss out on the opportunity of going, let's work together. Yes. Um, And of course, you know, there's also a lot of of competitiveness and people see their, their peers as competitors rather than collaborators. Yeah, exactly. And management teams are very rarely teams. <laughs> right, yeah, they, right. Well, they, they rarely uh, uh, demonstrate a lot of uh, teamwork. Yes, yes. Um, oh, Rosalind Franklin. Rosalind Franklin was the, the woman who did the crystallography for, for 
that gave the insight. Oh, for Watson Crick. Watson and Crick. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Rosalind okay. Franklin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The old synapses <laughs> start to work again. Given this little story, I know it's it's obviously a pet interest of mine, this, these science stories. Um, but what do you reckon uh, out of 10, what would you give it, Mark? Uh, how useful would this story be? It's not <laughs> going to be useful for me. Uh, <laughs> I, I, look, I do think it's an important story. Like the great ideas uh, could get lost if women either don't speak up or aren't listened to. And so, you know, I think it's a really important message. I just don't know that I'm going to use that story that frequently. And I'd struggle with it. I've kind of got Doudna Isaacson because of the link to the Steve Jobs book. I'll never forget. In a couple of days' time, I won't remember. Anyway, I'm going to give it a five. Good. Um, Yeah, look, I'll tell that story. Um, So I'll probably give it a... It's not going to be... At the top of my list, it's a seven type story. But I, I want to tell you a story that I'm, I'm planning to use, um, which is related to this, to a webinar that I've got to give. It's going to be a connection story, right? And it's for a big pharmaceutical company. And, and I, you know, you want to make a connection from a science perspective, for example. And they're all PhD trained, you know, medical folk, right? Essentially in this webinar. And, and so, what I'm going to do is start off by sort of saying, look, it's amazing how humans um, and how the brain works in terms of, you know, immediately deciding whether something's good or bad. And, and maybe we'll put something aside and not even look at it just from this tiny slice of information. You know, we, we don't always look at data. A lot of it's got to do with emotion. So when I opened up uh, the Isaacson book uh, on my Kindle, I wanted to know my, if my sister-in-law was in the story, right? So I type in Jill Banfield, zero hits. And I go, oh, bloody hell. Don't tell me that Isaac's cut her out of the story. And I sort of said to my wife, Shane, I said, I think they might have cut her out of the story. And we both were commiserated. And I thought to myself, well, bloody hell, I'm not going to read this book. You know? <laughs> Stuff it. Anyway, I had it sort of sitting there for a while and, and eventually I opened it up and I started reading it and, and I'm up to page, page 20 and I turn the page and there's a full picture of Gillian Banfield, not Jill Banfield, how I know her, um, on the, like, the 21st page. And I just ran over to Sheena with my iPad and sort of said, she's in it, she's in it, you know. And I don't know, it's, it, it's that whole thing about identity and connection and this emotive, you know, weird things that humans do. And my point to these scientists is that, hey, it's not just the data that you have to convey. You have to think about the weirdness of humans and their emotive responses to things and get both of those things happening. Because if you don't, you're not going to change behaviour. What do you reckon? Nice. I like it. I like it. Yeah? Yep. Yep. Um, That's probably much just- better than the story that I told uh- Except no one else can tell that story, I don't no, think. No, well, that, that, that'd be very yeah. difficult. Uh, I think you should throw in a couple of, you know, CRISPR, DNA sequencing, Watson and Crick. You know, just chuck a couple in. You know. And what was that word that's in that's part of CRISPR? Panasonic, uh, palindromic? Palindromic. Uh, palindromic. palindromic. Yeah, drop that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you should drop that. 
Um, yeah, very and, good. You know, Anyone that can use the word palindromic in a sentence is uh, doing pretty well, I think. Especially if you can do it backwards. <laughs> okay, um, I think that's probably a good time for us to wrap things up. Is there anything we need to share with our listeners, Mark? Uh, well, I guess uh, another reminder, we've got a bunch of events coming up, story-powered sales, storytelling for leaders, story-powered data, um, all on our website. Uh, if you go to our events page, www.anecdote.com forward slash events you'll find them all listed there and you'll be able to click in and get the details that's great well thanks everyone for listening in to anecdotally speaking we appreciate it uh, please give us a, a rating on your on itunes and and leave a comment that would be terrific um, but yeah tune in next week for another episode of how to put your stories to work bye for now Anecdotally speaking, was engineered by Dave Stokes from Author to Audio. Mm-hmm.